0: in Christ. Now, I invite you to turn this morning to Acts chapter 2 once again, Acts chapter 2 verses 42 through 47. This is going to be our last sermon here in this particular section where we've kind of slowed down a little bit. Uh, And as you turn to Acts chapter 2, I've had a hard time figuring out this week how to help us enter into our text this morning because there's just so much I want to say. Uh, There's so much that I think we all need to hear, and I just couldn't figure out how to say it all. Uh, And as I was praying about it, my mind kept returning to the fact that Jesus isn't in a hurry. Uh, He doesn't feel the need to say everything at once or get it all done in one big shot. Uh, Jesus takes his time. He leads us step by step. And I think that is such a comforting thought to me. I hope it's such a comforting thought to you as well. And so, despite my uh, wanting to say lots and lots of things and drown you all in a fire hose of Greek grammar, history, theological reflection, uh, I've managed to settle on one big problem that all of us face. And then I want to talk about the ways that Jesus invites us to address that problem by the way that we seek first his kingdom together. And that big problem is loneliness. Uh, So many of us feel lonely. Some of us feel lonely by ourselves. Uh, We don't have people reaching out to us. We sit by ourselves. We feel isolated and left out. Uh, Kids, some of you might feel that way. Some of you might have classmates that feel that way. Uh, That kind of loneliness is not good. Jesus says it's not good. Remember, even back in the Garden of Eden, Jesus saw that Adam was alone, and he said, It is not good for man, for people, to be alone. It's not good to be lonely. And it's also not good to feel lonely when you're with others. And this can happen when there are other people around you. I think we've all had this experience. But they're not listening to you. They don't seem terribly interested in you. You don't feel safe in trusting yourself to them. You don't feel welcomed into their life. And that isn't what Jesus wants either. Uh, Jesus doesn't want people to be lonely in his church, in fact, as we saw last Sunday, he wants you to be welcomed openly into the lives of his his people. He wants you to experience what it means to have other people bear your burdens. He wants you to uh, live each day with the confidence to walk around in the joy, knowing that the people in your life who are around you know your needs because they listen to you and they show they care about you with their actions and their words and even their facial expressions. Hospitality, which is the biblical word for that concept I just described, and community are foundational to life in the kingdom of God. And now I say all of that, uh, but the reality is we know that there are lonely people in the church. There are lonely people in our congregation, and that should not only make us sad, but it should also spur us to ask Jesus to work in our body, to work among us, so that People would not be lonely, but regularly and warmly welcomed into our lives. And so specifically, actually, as we look at this morning, we need to ask Jesus to help us work out one more element of the rule of life we've been talking about for the past three weeks. Two weeks ago, we saw the disciples devote themselves to discipleship and to Sunday worship in verse 42. This morning in verse 46, we're going to see the disciples devote themselves to regularly meeting together to pray with each other, to pray for each other, and to enjoy one another's company as a gift of God. So, our goal this morning is to explore how we are called to organize our life together so that through regular prayer and regular fellowship, we experience the welcome, the generosity, the goodness, the burden bearing, the the joy of Jesus himself through his people. And therefore we aren't lonely because we're connected to each other by the experience of Christ's own love as it pours from him into us and out into each other. That's our goal. That's a pretty modest goal. Um, we're going to try and reach it by uh, looking at how the disciples were first devoted to daily prayer and then how they were second devoted to holy gatherings or holy friendship. And then finally, I'll give some thoughts on how we can devote ourselves to these things today. So let's read Acts chapter 2, verses 41 to 47, pray, and then we're going to get into all of this. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 41. So those who received his word, that is Peter's sermon, those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. in having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's, Father, the reading of God's own word. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this word which you have given to us. And uh, Lord, we pray uh, that you would bless it to us, um, not simply... In the sense that we uh, understand it with our minds, but in the way in which we want it very much to change the way that we live, and the way it shapes our hearts, and the way that we feel about each other, and the way it shapes our mouths, and the way we speak to each other, and our hands and feet, and the way we serve each other and welcome each other. And so, Lord, we pray that your Spirit, which alone can accomplish these purposes in our life, that uh, your Spirit will go out now with your word and would give us minds to understand. hearts to believe, and ears to hear, uh, so that uh, we can do all of this. Father, may the words of my mouth as your preacher, may the meditation of all our hearts, may it all now be pleasing in your sight. And we ask this all in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the first thing I want to look at is how the disciples practiced a rule of life that emphasized daily prayer with each other. Uh, And to do that we need to talk about the translation. So I'm the one responsible for using the English Standard Version as our common Bible translation here at Grace. Our elders uh, were gracious enough to grant me that request when I first got here. I love the ESV a lot. I use it for my own reading. Um, My family uses it. We use it. I can say all that and tell you no translation is perfect, though I like it. Uh, And though you've heard me quibble with a word choice occasionally, I don't know that I've ever had to come and say that a particular passage is perfect badly translated. Uh, but verse forty six is badly translated in the ESV. Uh, there are words that are in the Greek that are just not in the English text. But it's not just the ESV. The NIV is missing the same words. The RSV standard version is missing the same words. The King James missing the same word. The New King James. It was crazy I'm going through this. So what uh, so I'm providing you with my own translation. That's what's on the overhead up there, verse 46. Though, uh, if you have the Christian Standard Version, which is a good translation, but a silly name, um, Christian Standard Version, you'll see something very similar to this. This is one of the only ones that actually had all the words in it. So feel free to write this in your Bibles. This This is what verse 46 and verse 47 says. And you can read up there on the wall. I'm going to read it for you. And day to day, they devoted themselves to both uniting together in the temple, And to breaking bread from house to house, receiving their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That's the verse we're going to exegete together this morning. We're told that day to day they devoted themselves to gathering in the temple. Just like in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' discipleship and to weekly corporate worship. That's the same word. This was part of their rule of life. And just to remind us, a rule of life is just an ancient way of talking about how you structure your days, weeks, months, and years so that Jesus receives your faithful, consistent attention. Which is, you may remember what the word devotion means. To give Jesus your regular, consistent attention. And the reason why it's so important to have a rule of life centered around Jesus is because if you don't have a rule of life centered on Jesus, you will have a rule of life centered on something else. Uh, It will be centered on your career. It will be centered on your family. It will be centered on your entertainment, on your reputation, on your popularity, or maybe even just yourself. We all live lives toward a goal, and the kind of person we become, the kind of people we become, are shaped by the goal we are pursuing. Uh, workaholics are not shaped into calm, patient people. Uh, people who live for reputation management, right? How, living around the idea of how people think of me and what, what people think of me and how they talk about me. They tend not to be people who are quick to repent. They don't own their own faults because they're so concerned about the rule of life, which says everyone needs to think that I am such a great person. There are people like me who organize their life around omni and perfectionism, which is really a form of reputation management. And people like me who have made that a rule of life for a long time, they can struggle with gentle responses to others' imperfections and with empathy towards others' failures because my rule of life, which I had for so many years, was I will never fail. How come you're failing? Uh, I spent a large part of my life living along, living according to that rule of life, and I've been trying very hard to repent of this for years, repent of being so focused on being good at everything that I don't have to worry about failure. And when I was living according to that rule of life, I, I I built everything in my life around it. My thought life was built around it. I would walk around uh, campus and college, seminary, practicing arguments in my head to defend myself about everything so that I uh, could prove that I always lived up to my goal of never failing. And I welcomed people into my life, or I did not welcome people into my life, depending on whether they helped me, in my view, toward my goal of perfectionism and omnicompetence, or whether they exposed my failure to live up to that uh, particular rule of life. That devotion, or don't practice that I had, that rule of life, it's caused a tremendous amount of pain over the years that I've been working very hard to repent from and rebuild. I say all that so that I can also remind us that uh, Jesus not only comes to save us from the judgment for our sins, but also to free us from enslavement to sin, as Paul says in Romans. He comes to give us freedom from ways of living that create strife and enmity, Freedom from the, from feeding the monster of selfishness and pride that ultimately is responsible for some of us feeling lonely, either because we've driven people away because of the way we've been living, like my rule of life did, or because we're so focused on some other goal that we are either oblivious to the loneliness of other people because we're so focused on ourselves, or we're unwilling to take the necessary steps to help them because it interferes with the way that we have organized our lives. I would reach out to them but that would mess up my productivity flow. Uh, I would call them, but I don't know what to say, and it's really important to me that I be competent and never stick my foot in my mouth. Uh, I know they're aching for connection, but if we invited them over, that would interfere with our family time. You see, we all have rules of life that guide and shape what goes in, and who comes in, and what goes out of our life, and to whom it goes out. Now, I know it might feel like to some of you that I've gotten uh, quite a bit away from our verses, but I'm trying to set the stage for how powerful this different rule of life, this different way of devotion was. And day to day, they devoted themselves to uniting together in the temple. So I'm trying to avoid the fire hose here. So they gathered in the temple because they were in Jerusalem. And almost all of these new disciples, uh, whether Jew or Gentile, had inherited a beautiful daily practice of daily communal prayer from their Israelite religious heritage. And the temple was where those daily communal prayers were usually held. So these disciples made it a way of life that each day they would get together in the temple to pray with each other. Now, I don't think they did this all together. Uh, I doubt that you could get over 3,000 people's schedules to match up every day. I don't think the house slave had the same hours off as the baker or the Roman slave soldier Uh, i think it's much more likely that those whose schedule aligned schedules aligned at different times they would gather together throughout the day to pray with those people whose schedules happen to align that day i'm assuming there was like for example a 6 a.m prayer gathering a 9 a.m prayer gathering 3 p.m prayer gathering maybe there was an 8 15 p.m prayer gathering, and you just attend the one that happened to work for you that day or the ones that worked for you Uh, There's actually a part of our Reformed tradition in the Anglican world that has something like this, where the rector, which is their name for a pastor, uh, will be at the church early morning, afternoon, and evening, and then will lead a prayer service for whoever can make it. Uh, It was probably something like that. You just had times when people's schedules would meet, and they would go to the temple, and they would pray. And so what these disciples did is they organized their lives around these regular Times of prayer they would get together every day with the other disciples who were available at that time and they would pray. Now notice our text, at least the one I have there on the wall, says they were uniting together. They weren't simply together, they were uniting together and the word for uniting is the same word translated as accord in verse in chapter one verse 14. and all these were to, all these with one accord, the disciples Jesus' family the leaders were devoting themselves and there's that word again to prayer one accord uniting see the idea is that a group of people act as one person we'll see later on in Acts that a crowd of people is going to get angry at a sermon uh, preached by Stephen and they will as the text says as one man uh, in one accord in unison same word rush him in anger They all have the same direction, they have the same emotions, they have the same goals. So the idea is not simply that they are gathered in a room together and then ran through some prayers and then left. The idea is they gathered together and they united together. They talked, they listened, they heard the sad things and the hard things and the happy things and the joyful things And then, having united together, they prayed with each other and for each other as one person. They had the same direction, the same emotions, the same goals. They lifted up their hearts to Jesus and lamented in prayer with each other as one man in unity. They struggled in prayer alongside each other in one accord, united as one person. They gave thanks together with one mind and asked for the gospel to go out with one heart because they were united together. They made it a practice each day, you see, to welcome each other into their hearts so that then they could pour the content of their now united heart out to Jesus together in unity, in one accord, as if it was one person praying what an incredible rule of life what a beautiful way to structure your day isn't that so powerful what a wonderful thing to know uh, back then that whatever happens in your day you would have the opportunity to gather with other disciples of jesus pour out your heart to them receive their hearts back and then pray together in mental emotional and spiritual unity rejoicing with those who rejoice, weeping with those who weep, praising God, lamenting to God together as one every day. Uh, This is one of the reasons why I connected this idea to loneliness. Part of being lonely is feeling that the day-in, day-out realities of your life are not carried by anyone else but you. They're only in your heart, and they are no one else's heart. And when you believe that that's the case, or when that is the case, it is hard to believe that your burdens are carried by Jesus' heart. Uh, My friends, I'm going to talk about this more in a second, but I want you to see that Jesus here is holding out a profoundly different rule of life than we have inherited from our culture. This is not family first. This is not work first. It's not country first. It's not me first. This is kingdom first. This is Jesus first, it's worship first, it's discipleship first, it's prayer first, it's fellowship first. This is a way that they lived out together regularly. Jesus' command to seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And just to add this uh, before moving on to our next point, realize that this uh, probably also was not a huge time commitment. How long did this take? Maybe sometimes they were long, but probably took a half hour, maybe an hour. Prayer meetings just aren't that long. But what a profound effect this had. And you can see the profound effect by the next part of the sentence. And day to day, they devoted themselves to both uniting together in the temple and to breaking bread from house to house, receiving their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God, and having favor with all the people, and I realize where we're at on time, so I'm just going to say three things quickly, so we can spend the rest of our time thinking about how this looks today. Uh, so first, notice they broke bread from house to house, and what that means is these disciples uh, ate together regularly in different people's homes. And this would very much look like our growth groups in some ways. Um, Because, of course, you cannot fit 3,000 people into one house. Even if it was an aristocratic villa, you're not fitting 3,000 people into one house. So it would have been, by necessity, smaller groups. And we don't know if these were assigned groups like our growth groups are here at Grace or if they were sort of ad hoc collections of people where whoever happened to be around that particular night, you'd have a volunteer and they'd all go over. We don't know that. But however it worked, the text tells us that they were devoted to these gatherings like they were devoted to prayer, to weekly worship, and to the lessons of discipleship. They devoted themselves to both uniting together in the temple, and to the breaking of bread and prayer. And for those Grecophiles out there, which I know there are a few, it's a te, te construction. Both and, together. It governs the, the main verb. So that means the Roman soldier, and the Jewish tax collector, and the slave, and the aristocrat, and the kids, and the elderly, and the apostles, in some variation, all spent regular time together. And when they did, they ate together. They broke bread in their homes, uh, which means that they, they invited people to stay and talk. Maybe even play games occasionally. Uh, when you want people to leave, you don't invite them uh, into your, your home to eat with you, right? When there's someone you don't want to invest in or be with, you do not say, hey, would you like to come over and eat with me? You think, oh man, if I turn my shoulder this way, they'll think I was paying attention to something over there and maybe they'll walk by me and I won't have to talk to them. It's gonna be fantastic, avoidance is wonderful. That is not what happens here. They invited people, even people who I'm sure were very difficult to invite into their home. Remember, you have the Roman soldier and you have the slave. You have the conqueror and the conquered. You have the Jewish tax collector and uh, you have the people they collected taxes from. Like they are all gathering together. What this shows us is that this church adopted a rule of life, a way of inhabiting their time and space of their lives that showed hospitality and neighbor love to their fellow disciples, even when it was probably difficult, by daily inviting them into their homes to stay and to talk and to be loved. And there, notice, they were receiving their food with joyful and sincere hearts, praising God. And by praising God, Luke just means they gave thanks for God's excellence. Thanks for his kindness, thanks for his goodness, for his love, his provision, his truthfulness, his mercy, his justice. And they did all of this as they were gathered together around the same table, or actually probably on the floor, eating, the kids running around. And so as they gave thanks... For God's excellence in light of the community that Christ had gathered, they gave thanks for his excellent wisdom. And the God who knows how to take the brokenness of the world and bring it together in the redemption of Christ in a real way, in an embodied way. And the only phrase that I could think of for this kind of unified life is a uh, holy friendship. Uh, By which I mean friendship that reflects Jesus' hospitality, friendship that uh, gives his goodness, friendship that receives it from other people and welcomes it in and welcomes them into your, your lives, friendship that sincerely, notice the text says that, and honestly wants to give the joy of life with God to each other. So even as the church built its life around prayer together, they also built their life around being together in each other's company every day. They also shared food together. They prayed prayers of thanks for each other together, and that rule of life filled them with joy, and it filled them with profound gratitude, profound thankfulness to Jesus and can we not also say made loneliness in the church of God much harder to experience? You're brought into people's homes. They asked you to stay a while, to eat with them. They listened to you. They prayed for you while they prayed with you. And you were loved. So, from there, how does this look today? Uh, it's our final point. Uh, the reality is, having gone through all of that, the way this rule of life played out here in Jerusalem doesn't appear exactly in the same ways in other churches during this time. It doesn't appear like it had the same shape in Corinth. It doesn't look like it had the same shape in Rome. And in fact, the way this rule of life will look in just a few chapters, when many Christians are driven from Jerusalem and they don't have the regular temple rhythms to orient their lives around, will mean that they have to change their rule of life. The way they lived and rhythmed together with Jesus to fit that new context. And so I say all that to say that, frankly, the exact same shape we see here in Acts chapter 2 will not work here at Grace. Uh, We do not live in a small, ancient city within walking distance of the church. Uh, Or within walking distance of most of our homes. Uh, We don't have jobs that are run by the rising and setting of the sun. We have electricity. We have morning shifts. We have night shifts. We can't all drive at night. Some of us are too tired from night shifts to drive in the day. That's okay. Rather than being upset by what we can't do, uh, let's think about what we can do. How do we embrace together as a church a rule of life that makes prayer with each other and for each other a constant, faithful practice? And that also creates holy friendships among ourselves in, in today's world through regular devoted fellowship? Well, first I would say, let's use the things that Jesus has already given us. We already have our growth groups. And one of the reasons we started them as a church is to create the opportunity for all of us who live at a distance with each other to gather together, to eat and pray and build these holy friendships as we pray with and for each other, where we can grow in thanks for God giving us each other as members of the same Body we can also take advantage of our meal times after Sunday services on the first and third Sundays, like today happens to be the third Sunday, where we can eat together, and maybe all of us can get better at inviting people over to our homes after church on Sunday uh, for for lunch and by the way, like this doesn't have to be long. Um, I know all of you think I do not have three hours of energy on a Sunday I don 't have three hours of energy on a Sunday either. <laughs> After church is all done. But it doesn't have to be long. Uh, why not say to someone, hey, can you come over to our house for lunch or just for a get-together? Maybe we got an hour, just about an hour. That's all it'll be like. But we'll eat, drink some coffee, pray. Uh, it'd be great to have you. It would be good for all of us to devote ourselves to that if we're able by setting up a regular, consistent time. Maybe it's once a month, for our particular family. Maybe it's every other week. Maybe it's every week, depending on our life situation. I don't know. But feel free to make within that commitment the expectation that it not be an all-day affair where I have to get all my best food and spend a million dollars on roasted ducks so that everyone's impressed with my hospitality skills. Like, that is not what is happening here in Acts. It doesn't have to be what happens to us either. Right? Just, I'm sure the housing gathering of these early Christians weren't long ordeals. Remember, there's no streetlights back then. Uh, Jerusalem was a city. Ancient cities were notoriously not safe after the sun went down. So they would have maybe an hour or two to get home before it would be no longer safe to walk home. So I'm asking, I guess, as the, the pastor, like, why not go home and ask yourself, if you're married, talk to your spouse, How how do I, how do we devote ourselves to holy friendship within the body? How do we create a rule of life for our family in the context of the church that, like, actually helps us grow and welcome and show the hospitality of Christ to those who are around us? And related to that, and finally, how do we develop daily prayer, too, as a practice for ourselves? Again, we can't all meet physically at the same place and at the same time every day. God has not, in his good wisdom, arranged our lives to make that really possible although some of us do live close by to each other, so maybe that could happen. But guess what? Uh, We have Zoom. We have FaceTime. Uh, We have whatever Android phones use. Uh, So what if our growth groups, what if our growth groups said, just as an example, hey, every Wednesday or Monday, every other Tuesday, every third Thursday, we're gonna get on the church's Zoom. We're going to email Pastor Matt. We're going to say, hey, we have a regular Zoom meeting the third Thursday of every month or whatever it is. I'm just saying it up. Can you just schedule it so it sends out a Zoom link to our group? And we get on for like a half an hour. We share, we pray, and we log off. And we just make that a regular, consistent practice. Why not, instead of saying, because we can't all get together in person, let's not do it. Why don't we just say, we have these tools Jesus has blessed us with. We have the ability for us to create and adapt in our particular situation, as I do throughout Acts, and we're going to see this as we go through the book, to new situations and circumstances that still require us to have a rule of life that's focused on Jesus and his people, that prays with them, that welcomes them, that shows hospitality, that reaches out in love. How do we do that as a church? I, I'm suggesting that we can use some digital tools, given the way God has built up our body, to do that. And it doesn't have to be huge. Half hour, 45 minutes, an hour. It doesn't have to be long. Maybe it's even shorter than that. It's okay. You don't get more Jesus points for praying longer. <laughs> it's not the length of the prayer that transforms a Christian's relationship to Jesus. It's the consistency of prayer that does it. Just like it's not the length of time you spend with the people you love, it's the consistent time that matters. Or you could spend one 24-hour block with your family and friends and then not see them for three weeks. Or you could spend three hours, three hours, three hours over eight days. The relationship will be deeper because it's over a long period of time. Same thing with prayer. So I'm going to start rambling. I don't want to do that. I just really want us to use these tools that Jesus has provided us so that we can have a rule of life that looks more like this that seeks the kingdom first, that says what matters is building up holy friendships and praying together, as well as showing up in worship on Sunday and devoting ourselves to the disciples' teaching and being sure that we're meeting each other's needs and praying for each other. That's what God is calling us to here at Grace, a rule of life centered on faithful, consistent attention to Jesus through and with his people. And my friends, all of us, and I include myself in this, we all need to grow in this. I am learning about this, too, at the same time. And that's okay. Like, let's grow. Let's adopt a rule of life that Jesus tells us and shows us here in this text. And you can hear when you read it, produced gratitude, joy, and profound spiritual life. Let's do, produce that in us and will draw us closer to him. Because as it does that, our text tells us, our neighbors will notice and they will love it, They know what it is to be lonely and they will see the blessings of Jesus' hospitality and they'll join us as his disciples as they find his welcome. And we together will experience the blessings of Jesus as he draws us closer together and closer to himself. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, as we think about um, organizing our lives around uh, regular prayer and fellowship and weekly worship and discipleship and even the uh, intentional welcoming of others into our lives, uh, we, we confess that we are both excited by the idea, maybe also a little scared of, of it and overwhelmed by it, some of us, for a variety of reasons, all of which you know. So we ask that you administer to each one of us as we have need, in accordance with your spirit's wisdom and strength and grace. And we especially ask for wisdom so that as a church, our lives would actually be devoted to praying with each other and to the fellowship of holy friendships, to the breaking of bread, to the worship, to the contentment of community with each other, and ultimately to the joy of communion with you. And we ask this because of Jesus and because of of what he's done for us, and what he's doing in our lives, and because of how he's promised to bring them to completion in glory. Amen. Uh, Let's stand together and let's sing in response uh, our song, Christ Has Made the Sure Foundation.
1: seated